Hi there, my name is Adam Waters and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. grateful covering recovering addict this has been my story for a long time in 2007 you know you hear about it all the time those of you who have heard it those of you who've been to the church those of you who watched online you know that my life has been marked by several let's face it a lot of different chapters one of those chapters included drug addiction and in 2007 as a result of my drug addiction I actually went to prison Um, I remember laying in jail one morning, maybe the first day I was there, laying on a bed, feeling sick, you know, kind of having withdrawal from drugs, and looking up at the ceiling and watching this sickly green flickering fluorescent light that they would never shut off, and wondering, how did I get here? Looking back on my life and seeing all of the times where I had made a choice to go one way instead of another, all the times I had sought to find happiness in some place that never could deliver. Now I look back on it and I think, how did I think that that would even work? Yet at the time, before I was saved, with clouded judgment, it seemed logical. This is a topic that we don't talk about enough in church. Now you know, you guys hear my story, you know my story, but we don't talk about it generally in the church enough. Or we have misgivings or misunderstandings about what it means to be an addict. We, we make it a very small subsection of people that those people over there who do this behavior, those are the addicts, but I am not, and I can't even understand why they do what they do. Maybe you're struggling with something like this right now. Maybe you're dealing with uh, a troubling behavior, a recurring thought, An impulse to do something that you know you shouldn't, yet you just can't stop yourself. Maybe you know someone in your family or a friend who is struggling. Maybe it's your own child. The truth is, this is important to remember, we all know somebody who struggles with addiction whether or not we know it. Addiction by its very nature tells us to keep it quiet. Because to bring it into the open would require change. And an addict who's in their addiction does not want to be in that position until they are absolutely forced to cry out for help. And so many of you, some of you at least, are struggling. This is even truer when we broaden the scope of what we mean when we speak about addiction. I want you to consider some of the, the addictive things in the lives that we see in the culture surrounding us. Okay, Social media. Social media. I sense this in myself. I know many of you sense this and and deal with this as well as you spend time on the various social media platforms, often telling yourself to look a certain way, be a certain person, say a certain thing, be lovable. But the truth is, is that we just can't get off the screen. 
video games. A lot of our young people are addicted, and I say young people, I mean like 45 and under. Okay. This is not a young man's game anymore. This is something that adults, people with kids, end up getting addicted to playing video games and just being distracted from the things that God has called them to. A life of obedience, of leading their family, of trusting in God. Think about drinking. Now, drinking's not wrong. It's not sinful. But I worry sometimes about believers who post things on social media about them out at the club and spending time um, imbibing themselves. Because it's addictive. Prescription medications, you know, the ones that we go to the doctor for, and we say, well, it was prescribed, so it must be okay. Maybe we go and we say, I'm having such anxiety, and a well-intentioned but otherwise clueless physician writes a prescription for a medication that ends up becoming something on which we depend. Food. Food. Exercise. The need to look differently, the need to feel fitter, the need to stave off disease and death. How about praise and recognition? Yeah, we can be addicted to that. We can be addicted to the need to know that other people view us in a positive light. These are all things that many of us struggle with every day, but we don't talk about it in terms of addiction. But when we really break it down and we look back again and again on our behavior, we notice a pattern. It's that pattern that we're going to talk about over the next four weeks. Today we're going to talk about what is addiction, mostly in its spiritual elements, but also some what in its uh, relational, physiological, things like that as well. Next week we're going to talk about what do we do about it? How do we make the hard choices? What do we start doing in our life instead of just pulling a bad behavior out? Because that doesn't work, so we're going to talk about that. Third week we're going to talk about if you're the loved one or family member of someone struggling with addiction, how you can love with detachment and support them while holding them accountable at the same time and not enabling them to continue on bad behaviors. In the fourth week's a wild card. I haven't decided yet. There's a whole myriad of things we could talk about. And so I'm deciding on that fourth week, what are we going to talk about in order to apply what we've learned in a real everyday environment? Now, many of you know, you drive around, you see billboards for marijuana uh, dispensaries. It used to be a medical marijuana thing. Now it's just if you want to. And so this is a very real in-our-face thing that we need to deal with and understand. Uh, certainly the struggle with pornography, which is, so, which is everywhere. Everywhere. We could talk about that. There's so many other things we could speak about. And so we're going to, as we go through this and as I hear feedback from you guys, we'll decide what we're going to talk about and how to apply this as we go forward. You might wonder why, and we talked about this a little bit, why I'm preaching this, this um, series on addiction. Um, but I want you to recognize is that this, we all have the seed in our heart. Let's put it that way. Each and every one of us has the capability of moving into an area of sin that becomes addictive in its nature. And we need to know how to deal with that because really the only difference between addicts and not addicts when it comes to this is not a difference in person, it's a difference in degree. We all carry this within us. So today we're in Psalm 107, verses 1 through 16. The author, the psalmist, is giving an account of God's abundant mercies to mankind who struggles with sin and affliction. It's 43 verses long. He goes again and again and, and lists another group of people who are struggling, cry out to God, and God saves. It's his abundant mercy is what this psalm is speaking about. But I, I believe, especially in these first 16 verses, it really encapsulates well addiction and the difference between those who cry out to God in a healthy way and those who don't and refuse to cry out to him in their needs. So let's go through it. 
In the beginning, the psalmist says, I'll give thanks to the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Those who he has redeemed from trouble and gathered from around the world, around the earth, from the north and south, from the west, from the east and from the west. Last week, we talked about the power of a story. We all have a story to share. It's the story of our redemption. Another way of saying it is our testimony. In the book of Revelation, it says that we defeat, this is so awesome, we defeat Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Do you realize that? That Jesus Christ has set us free from our sin and delivered us. And our speaking about it, our glorifying him and say, this is where I was, this is what Jesus did, and this is what is happening now, defeats the kingdom of darkness. You all have a story of redemption to share. And the psalmist says this right here. He says, let us, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let me tell you, whenever you're in the scripture and you read something that says let's or let us or let them, okay, I want you to know that that's called a cohortative mode or mood in, he, in, in Hebrew, and it means do it. It's an imperative. It's not a suggestion. It's like, oh, let's, you know, no, it's a command. The redeemed of the Lord must share the story of their redemption. This is God's will for our lives. And so the psalmist encourages us, and he gives a list of stories in the psalm. You know, there's a big story that we're part of, the story of our redemption. And the truth is, is that we were made for God. In the Garden of Eden, you know, when you look at the book of Genesis and you read how God created how he did it in stages, started big, and got increasingly smaller. And then finally, on the sixth day, he places Adam in the center of the garden. It's as if God was creating a meeting place, a dwelling place, where he could interact with his creation, the pinnacle, the acme of his creation, the point of it all, mankind. And we were made to be interacting with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We were made for that relationship that expresses itself with deep intimacy and fulfillment, that it comes out in worship. But as we read Adam and Eve sinned, and it's not just them, we do it too, that sin creates a rift in our relationship with God. Just as Adam and Eve were banished from the garden with its blessings and abundance and the presence of God, so are we. We too, as a result of our sin, are banished from the presence of God. That separation that's created creates something in us. You guys all know what I'm talking about because this is part of the human condition. It's an emptiness in our soul. Sometimes when I talk to people, I call it the ick. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to exactly describe it, but it's the idea that something's just not right. How many of you have felt that? Deep within your soul, everything in your life might be going well. You might have everything that you expected that you would need. Yet there's still a quiet voice that reminds you it's not okay. Something is still wrong. That feeling, you know, that feeling of vulnerability that you're not safe or that feeling of unlovability, that no one's going to love you, or the fear of death that you work so hard to stave off. Existentialist philosophers have called it the angst. Angst. The truth is, is we've departed from home by our own choice. We are lost 
with no way to find our way back. God has to do it. But what happens is, as we desperately seek in our struggle to stave off the ick, to feel okay other ways, other saviors, other gods. We look to the people, places, and things in our life and those around us to find that which will give us fulfillment. And boy, do they promise to. Do they promise to. I don't know about you, but I've been duped a lot in my life. I've believed the lie that something other than God, a person, or an idea, or a thing, or a drug, would give me the fulfillment and the pleasure, the joy that I was seeking. Yet it didn't work. Yeah, it works for a while. Truth is, is if it didn't work, no one would be addicts. But it always leaves us empty. When we seek to find our joy in something else, we end up feeling a sense of wrong being instead of well-being. The truth is, is that it doesn't help that we live in a world when even as we embrace the Lord and we look to him and submit ourselves and our lives to him, that it often feels as if something's still missing. This is where living by faith energizes our Christian walk. Because the truth is, is when we look at our lives, sometimes it doesn't seem like it's going to make sense. Sometimes it doesn't seem like God's going to deliver. Sometimes, sometimes we have to live thirsty. We have a thirst for something, but it goes unquenched, and we say, Lord, are you really there? This is where God is asking you to trust him. And so as we go through this psalm, we see there are two categories of people. The first category of people are wanderers. This is in verse 4. He says, some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. The word here for wandering is a Hebrew word that means more than just looking. It means that, but it also means staggering, drunk. It means blind. It means grasping for straws about something, finding some way to where you're going. It's the idea of seeking something and being wrong. It carries the idea of error. Now, we're all wanderers in some sense, aren't we? I mean, we're all grasping for something that will provide us that fulfillment that we so long, something to address the ick, the angst. Yet we often don't find it because we look in the wrong place. We seek a place of safety, of refuge, of abundance and community. This is part of the cry of the human heart of what it means to wander as a result of our sin, being banished from God's presence. But being estranged from God, we we look in other places instead of the only place where we'll find our true good joy and provision. We all have this hunger and this thirst. I call this our soul thirst. We have a desire to be fulfilled, to drink deeply. Uh, But the truth is, is that we are never satisfied. We were created to never be satisfied. We were created to consume The issue is is that God is created to be the infinite supplier of that satisfaction. The only person in all of creation, the only thing, the only person, the only source that can provide us a never-ending supply of what we need. When we seek satisfaction in people, places, and things, we're always left needing more. Yet God has it all. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. Listen to this. 
In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now he's not just talking about heaven here. He's talking about a life that finds its source of good in God. That God is the source of everything that we need for life and fulfillment. That at his right hand there are pleasures and in his presence there is the... You're not going to find no more joy than you will in the presence of God. Because God is the source of all of our joy. Which is not simply happiness. It's that deep-seated feeling that everything is okay. So despite what's going on, maybe you have a loved one who's sick and dying. Maybe your house is getting repossessed. Maybe your kids are acting crazy. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. All that being said, joy is still there. Because we find our joy in the only source that's God. Because we were made for it. Augustine said, we ha- you have made us for yourself, O God, and our heart is restless until it rests in thee. And we look for all these places, all of these sources of rest, of serenity, of joy, of peace. Yet it's only found in God. In verse 6 of the Psalm 107, it says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. This is the first principle from this morning that we're going to take out of this psalm. And it's the godly response to our soul thirst is to cry out to God and be led by him. Do you want more? Are you walking around with the feeling of emptiness that there's something more to this life? Are you seeking it in other places? Maybe you're looking at pornography. Maybe you're taking too much wine each night and saying it's okay because it's 15 years old. Maybe you're spending more time on social media or sleeping the day away. Maybe you're busying and occupying your heart with work so you don't have to deal with what is actually happening. But our response, God's desire and will for our lives is to cry out to him and to allow him to lead us. The righteous person's response to the need for more, for the soul thirst in their heart, is to call out to God. And God saves them. God saves them. God will lead those who call out to him in their affliction in the way they should go. It says he leads them by a straight way. That word's really a beautiful word in Hebrew. It's yashara. And it means not just a straight line, not just as the crow flies. It means the right way, the proper way. The way that is righteous. You know, this is the way that is embraced and seen by faith. When we call out to God and we say, Lord, I don't know what's happening. I feel this emptiness inside. I need you to do it. I'm I'm stuck. I need you to do it. And he says, okay, I got you. This is where we're going to go. I'm going to lead you on the path. And then we say, Lord, this isn't the way we're supposed to go. I, I asked you to help me not to go through all of these other things. When you're on that path, God's telling you and he wants you to know it's the right path. It might not seem like the right path. It might feel like you're going backwards for a moment. But it's the yashara path. It's the correct, smooth, straight path that God will lead you on. Let him lead you. Embrace that way by faith, even when it doesn't seem like it. Even when it seems like, you know, everyone's telling you, hold out for that godly person. And it's like, why am I going to hold out for that godly person to marry when I can have 15 ungodly people right here and waiting? How long is it going to be? How long am I going to have to wait? God's asking you to trust him. God's asking you to embrace that straight path as God's perfect plan, no matter how hard it is, no matter what it might seem like. 
Verse 8 goes on to say, Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul, the thirsty soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Now, if you're in this first group of people and you've not had to struggle with addiction, your answer is give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord that he is good, for you cannot take credit for this. So many times in my walk, in my recovery, I've spoken to people about addiction, talked to loved ones about their uh, loved, you know, loved ones, talking about their loved ones who struggle with addiction, and I get some iteration or some response like this. They just need to stop. They'll simply say, and it's, a, and it's not wrong all the time, but it's, it's the attitude and the mindset behind it. They just need to be obedient. They just need to submit to God. This is all true. But as we'll see, there's another group of people who are in bondage. Bondage. It's easy to look at other people who are struggling and say, ah, he's just a drug addict. Ah, they're just an addict. At least I don't do that. It's by God's grace. It's by God's grace that he has led us in a path and we have followed that has prevented us from moving into a cycle of needing more and needing more and needing more. Maybe you have not grown up with the environmental factors that other people have grown up with. Maybe you didn't live in a family who struggled with addiction, so you don't struggle with addiction because it's not your learned go-to way of dealing with life's ick. Maybe you don't carry the genes that predisposes you to addiction. Yeah, that's true. That's right. There's evidence, and lots of it, that addiction has a genetic component to it. That for some reason, when people use certain chemicals or do certain behaviors, it unleashes something in them that is not present in the rest of the community, the rest of humanity. Thank God that your physiology does not function with a proclivity towards addictive behaviors. Because it's quite possible that people live and have certain chemicals in their bodies, certain prevailing mental health issues that allow addiction to just take root. Now, it was not my experience as an addict that, uh, I mean, I remember growing up and always hearing, oh, it only takes one time. You use one time and you'll be an addict. That was not my experience. My experience is that it took many times to become an addict. But once I finally did, I was stuck. And so we need to be careful about how we view addiction. Some of you might say, and I often call it a, uh, a disease. And the medical community calls addiction a disease as well. So let's talk about that for just a second. You might say, doesn't calling addiction a disease mitigate some of the responsibility that people have for their choices that they make? The answer is no. Consider this analogy. Some of you struggle with diabetes. You didn't do anything to get the diabetes. Diabetes is something that because of sin in the world and disease in general, you now have to deal with this issue. So you take your insulin. You take your insulin. You've done nothing wrong, and no one holds anything against you, nor should they. Now, you refuse to take your insulin. You go into diabetic ketoacidosis, go crazy, kick the dog, smack your wife, run out of the house, crash your car. Are you responsible for those behaviors? The answer is yes. You're responsible for the behaviors because you chose not to do that which you needed to do to maintain your health. The secondary response to that was immoral choices. The same holds true with addiction. 
While many people who are addicts have the physiology of addiction, especially those who have now come out of active addiction, many of them carry around the proclivity and the genes and the sort of uh, pathways in their brain to be addicts. Not their fault. When they act out on their addiction and be, are disobedient to the Lord, they're accountable. They're accountable. And in no way does their disease, no way does my disease, does my affliction mitigate my sinful choices. The truth is, is that I'm responsible. This group, the non-addict group, realizes that faith in God is the only thing that can satisfy the longing soul. So now let's talk about the second group. Verse 10. Now others, some, sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in iron irons, for they had rebelled against the word of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. This is our second principle for this morning. The sinful response to our soul thirst is idolatry and self-will. Whereas the first group cries out to God and allows God to lead them, this group cries out to something else and refuses to be led and goes their own way. This group of people are unable to wander because they're stuck. They're prisoners in irons. They are afflicted and held in place. This is the result of disobedience. As more and more they disobey, they grow more and more imprisoned. And the harder you fight, it seems like the harder you're, the more you're ingrained. It says that they rebelled, said no to God's righteous command and did their own thing. And not only that, they spurned they discounted, they discredited, they looked upon with contempt the things of God. When I read this, that was me. That was me. I remember growing up, my mother would always say, I'd be struggling, and I'd call my mom and say, I don't know what's going on with life. I don't know why this is happening, or I'm so angry. It was often angry. I'm so angry. And my mother would say, you just have to trust the Lord. I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me any of that. Don't... I. And not only that, not only did I hate to hear it, I just looked upon the things of God with contempt. I just thought it was all a big joke. In fact, I thought it was worse than that. I thought because I, my mother and father tried to raise us as Christians that it was child abuse. That was my attitude towards Christianity at the time. It was all a joke. More worse than a joke. Delusional. Yet these people, me, as a result of my disobedience was put deeper and deeper into bondage. And the very thing that I needed to cry out to, the very person that could solve it all, was the one that I refused to go. I was rebellious. Our imprisonment, my imprisonment, an addict's imprisonment, is a result of their disobedience. It's as plain as that. A result of their disobedience. You see, God created the world with order and natural consequences. He's declared that every human should repent to trust him and to worship him alone. But when we go our own way, when we do that which we want to do and we're disobedient, we suffer the natural consequences of our actions. Now, the beautiful thing about it is God doesn't leave us out there. These consequences are not intended to hurt us. They're intended to draw us closer to him. We're going to talk about this in our third sermon about how do we help the person in our life who's struggling with addiction. One of the big points we'll talk about it is do not insulate them from the consequences of their actions. Allow them to feel the consequences, the natural consequences of what they're doing. 
Psalm 119.71 uh, is my life verse. It says, well, let me tell you this one instead. Psalm 1967, it's a few before it. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. In our bondage, in my bondage, in our complete inability to save ourselves, the addict cries out and suffers the consequences of his addiction, cries out to God, and it moves them to repentance. That's my hope. When I work with addicts every day, it is my, my hope, it is my prayer that the affliction that they feel moves them toward God and not away. This imprisonment that they're in, that I was in, is real. It's not metaphorical. Our release from captivity, though, does not come by, listen to this, this is important. Our release from captivity or victory over addiction, stated another way, does not come from obedience. It comes from crying out to God. I've tried to be obedient as an addict. I've tried to change the way that I did things. I tried to go, I'm going straight. I'm on the up and up. I'm not doing this ever again. I'm not using, and 10 minutes later, this is the mind of an addict. Our release from our addiction comes by grace. It comes through mercy. It comes from God's divine intervention to the cry of the broken and repentant heart. The 12 steps, uh, the first three of the 12 steps are basically this. As an addict, I'm powerless. Nothing I can do. I'm enslaved, which is what this psalm says. But God, you can restore me, which is what this psalm says. Cry out to God. And then three, my life is in your hands. And he leads them on the straight path. Now these are truths that all of us, whether or not we suffer with addiction, can bank our lives on. This is the Christian life right here. I'm powerless. You can save me. My life is in your hands. Ask an addict to just stop fails to recognize that the ability to say no was willingly given away a long time ago. A long time ago. Yet this is the situation that they're in. Addiction means to willingly assign oneself to. It's like looking at someone and saying, you know what, I'm going to be your slave. <laughs> That's what addiction's like. When we say just stop to somebody who's struggling with addiction, what they end up doing is something called, what we say, white knuckling. Okay, white knuckling. It's holding on for dear life. It's, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this behavior. And then failing. And then feeling the shame of that failure. When the answer is, is to not white knuckle, but to look to God. Look to God. I heard a message this week, someone talking, it was about lust. And he said, don't fight lust. And at first I was like, what is he talking? Don't fight lust. He said, flee it. Right? Run to your father when you're struggling with that temptation. The same holds true for anything in our lives. It's not just lust. We don't fight the things that have a hold over us. We flee to God. We run from them into the hands of the only person who can free us from the bondage that we're struggling with. Paul, even in Romans 7, has this sort of sense in his soul about how hard it is to simply say no. So uh, Romans 7 15 Paul says for I do not understand my own actions. This is the apostle Paul. I do not understand my own actions for I not, do not do what I want to do but I do the very thing I hate. When I do Bible studies with other addicts this verse comes up they're like oh I know that. There's like no question in their, in their heart. That's me and that's some of you right now even if you've not told a soul about what's going on. 
I do not understand my actions. I do not do that which I want, but I do the very thing I hate. So as a result of the second group's disobedience and waywardness, it says in verse 12, so God bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. This is a long point, I'm going to say. We'll get you, you'll be able to get it on Facebook or more later, but this is the point. And this is, you need to hear this. Number three, addiction is the multifaceted consequence of persistently seeking to quench our thirst through idolatry. It's the repeated habitual action of looking to someone else, something else, some place else, to satisfy the thirsty soul in our hearts. Those of us who struggled with addiction know that hard labor, that slavery of what it feels like to our addictions. But it's the natural consequence of turning to other things for our comfort in salvation. This hard labor that the psalmist talks about is the affliction of a life full of consequences. Consequences of addiction. Think about some of these broken relationships. The destruction that comes through addiction and what it does to families and friends and marriages. Psychological dysfunction. I had a meeting with somebody yesterday that I had met with a couple of months ago. And uh, they sat across and they said, you know, um, I remember sitting in the same seat just a couple of months ago thinking that your coffee addiction was just as bad as my drug addiction. He goes, isn't that crazy? I said, it's amazing what a couple of months of not using will do. But that goes to show you what can happen in the mind of somebody who struggles with addiction. Things just don't seem right. They just seem ridiculous. Yet that was me. Emotional upheaval. Moral and spiritual bankruptcy and the physical death and disease that goes with addiction so much because there's such a link between the body and the soul. It's been said that uh, when the soul sneezes, the body catches it or something like that. I messed that up. That's, that's... Let's just say what God says. Psalm 31.10. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity. My bones waste away. The psalmist, as David, is saying, my, my life is full of sin and I feel it. And I feel it. Psalm 107, 13. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. This group too, this is the addict group, again cries out to God. And what does God do? He doesn't say, clean up your act. Then come see me. He saves them. He saves them. There was a time in my life where I was completely and utterly spiritually, morally, physically, relationally bankrupt. My entire life had been destroyed at my own hand. And I had nothing. I was like a 33-year-old, what was that, 33, 27-year-old newborn who needed everything from everybody else because I had lost everything in my life. It was in that moment, that moment, that by the grace of God, I called out to him and he rescued me. He did not give me a list of things to do first before he showed up. He did not say, how dare you do these things? Or, I told you. He was waiting with open arms like the father in the account of the prodigal son, waiting to restore me back. And he did. And God loves to do this. No amount of willpower can free those who are in bondage. It takes God to do it. 
and he promises to. Verse 15, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he shatters, shatters the doors of bronze and cuts the bars of iron in two. Things that are unable to be defeated by the human hand, by human will, God defeats. That's our fourth and final principle for this morning. God loves to break the bonds of addiction. God loves to break the bonds of addiction. If you're sitting here with a secret sin right now that you don't want to talk about and you feel, well, this is as good as it gets. I've been there. Both as a Christian and before a Christian. I've been in that place where I've said to myself, well, this, I guess, is just the cross I have to bear. I want to reassure you that God can break the doors of bronze and shatter the irons. That God is capable of freeing you from your addiction. That God's waiting and wants to. That God is calling you to this. To a life full of plenty where the thirst of your soul is quenched on the one who promises, who can deliver on what he promises. We're going to talk next week about what we have to do. What are some of the things that we do about getting a handle on this? How do we cry out to God? What are our next steps after that? And I want you to know that I'm available, that there's nothing that you can, I'm unshockable, let's put it that way, unshockable, okay? There is nothing that you can share with me that's going to go anyplace else or that's not going to be taken with grace because I've been there and I want to help you. Those of you who are watching online, I don't know, maybe in two weeks you see this video as a recording. If you need help, contact me. We can do this, and we're going to do this together because God's calling you. Today is the day. Today is the day. Don't wait any longer. Let's do it now. It's never too late. As long I'm going to take a line out of one of our old pastors. I've only met him one time, Pastor Brummy. so you guys will know this. As long as there's life in the body, there's hope for the soul. I hear that all the time. Lane reiterates that to me about on a daily basis. And she always attributes it to Pastor Brummy, so I'm going to attribute it to Pastor Brummy as well. As long as there's life in the body, there's hope for the soul. No bondage is too severe. There is hope. Trust God. And trust the word of my testimony. You can defeat this in God's power. In conclusion, I know there are long points, so I'm going to say them again. The godly response to our soul thirst is to look to God and be led by him. To cry out to God and be led by him. The sinful response, too, to our soul thirst is idolatry and self-will. Going our own way and worshiping other things that can never provide. Three, addiction is the multifaceted consequence. It means it's not just one type of thing. It's not just a spiritual issue. There's a lot going on. Multifaceted consequence of persistently seeking to quench our soul thirst through idolatry. And four, God loves to break the bonds of addiction. He's waiting. There's a song, you guys know it, Chain Breaker. Chain Breaker. Your plight that feels like you are so stuck You're at the bottom of a pit and nobody can reach you. You've tried to dig your way out. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. There is nothing that he cannot do. He will shatter the doors of bronze and break apart the irons. Let's pray. Father, we pray that today would be the day. Today would be the day of salvation for some and that today would be the day of crying out to you and looking to you to be led by you, Lord, down a path of righteousness. We thank you, Lord, that you are strong and that you are powerful and that addiction is breakable, that, Lord, you step in and when you come in, 
Nothing is impossible. And so we pray, Lord, that we would take this day and come to a place of repentance to admit what's going on both to you and, Lord, to someone we trust. Move us to do the thing we promised we would never do, telling ourselves. We thank you, Lord. We love you, and we know that you're waiting with open arms. So we pray, Lord, that you would do these things for our good and for your glory that we would have a story to tell and so share the, the, our redemption. It's in Jesus' name. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.